0: this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recorded by george coots august 2006 the count of monte cristo by alexander dumas chapter 57 in the lucerne patch Our readers must now allow us to transport them again to the enclosure surrounding M. de Villefort's house, and behind the gate, half screened from view by the large chestnut trees, which on all sides spread their luxuriant branches, we shall find some people of our acquaintance. This time Maximilian was the first to arrive. He was intently watching for a shadow to appear among the trees, and awaiting with anxiety the sound of a light step on the gravel walk at length the long-desired sound was heard and instead of one figure as he had expected he perceived that two were approaching him the delay had been occasioned by a visit from madame Danglars and eugenie which had been prolonged beyond the time at which valentine was expected that she might not appear to fail in her promise to maximilian she proposed to mademoiselle Danglars that they should take a walk in the garden being anxious to show that the delay, which was doubtless a cause of vexation to him, was not occasioned by any neglect on her part. The young man, with the intuitive perception of a lover, quickly understood the circumstances in which she was involuntarily placed, and he was comforted. Besides, although she avoided coming within speaking distance, Valentine arranged so that Maximilian could see her pass and repass, And each time she went by, she managed, unperceived by her companion, to cast an expressive look at the young man, which seemed to say, "'Have patience. You see it is not my fault.' And Maximilian was patient, and employed himself in mentally contrasting the two girls, one fair, with soft, languishing eyes, a figure gracefully bending like a weeping willow, the other a brunette, with a fierce and haughty expression, and as straight as a poplar. It is unnecessary to state that, in the eyes of the young man, Valentine did not suffer by the contrast. In about half an hour the girls went away, and Maximilian understood that Mademoiselle Danglars's visit had at last come to an end. In a few minutes, Valentine re-entered the garden alone. For fear that any one should be observing her return, she walked slowly, and instead of immediately directing her steps towards the gate, she seated herself on a bench, and carefully casting her eyes around, to convince herself that she was not watched, she presently arose and proceeded quickly to join Maximilian. "Good evening, Valentine," said a well-known voice. "Good evening, Maximilian. I know I have kept you waiting, but you saw the cause of my delay. Yes, I recognize Mademoiselle Danglars." I was not aware that you were so intimate with her.' "'Who told you we were intimate, Maximilian?' "'No one, but you appeared to be so. From the manner in which you walked and talked together, one would have thought you were two schoolgirls telling your secrets to each other.' "'We were having a confidential conversation,' returned Valentine. "'She was owning to me her repugnance to the marriage with M. de Morcerf, and I, on the other hand, was confessing to her how wretched it made me to think of marrying M. de Penney.' Dear Valentine, that will account to you for the unreserved manner which you observed between me and Eugenie, as in speaking of the man whom I could not love, my thoughts involuntarily reverted to him on whom my affections were fixed. Ah, how good you are to say so, Valentine! You possess a quality which can never belong to Mademoiselle Danglars. It is that indefinable charm which is to a woman what perfume is to the flower, and flavor to the fruit for the beauty of either is not the only quality we seek. It is your love which makes you look upon everything in that light. No, Valentine, I assure you such is not the case. I was observing you both when you were walking in the garden, and on my honor, without at all wishing to deprecate the beauty of Mademoiselle Danglars, I cannot understand how any man can really love her. The fact is, Maximilian that I was there, and my presence had the effect of rendering you unjust in your comparison. No, but tell me. It is a question of simple curiosity, and which was suggested by certain ideas passing in my mind relative to Mademoiselle Danglars. I dare say it is something disparaging which you are going to say. It only proves how little indulgence we may expect from your sex, interrupted Valentine. You cannot at least deny that you are very harsh judges of each other. If we are so, it is because we generally judge under the influence of excitement. But return to your question. Does Mademoiselle Danglars object to this marriage with M. de Morcerf on account of loving another? I told you I was not on terms of strict intimacy with Eugenie. Yes, but girls tell each other secrets without being particularly intimate. Own now that you did question her on the subject. Ah, I see you are smiling. "'If you are already aware of the conversation that passed, "'the wooden partition which interposed between us and you "'has proved but a slight security.' "'Come, what did she say?' "'She told me that she loved no one,' said Valentine. "'That she disliked the idea of being married, "'that she would infinitely prefer leading an independent and unfettered life, "'and that she almost wished her father might lose his fortune, "'that she might become an artist like her friend.' mademoiselle louise d'armilly ah you see well what does that prove asked valentine nothing replied Maximilian. then why did you smile why you know very well that you are reflecting on yourself valentine do you want me to go away ah no no but do not let us lose time you are the subject on which i wish to speak true we must be quick for we have scarcely ten minutes more to pass together Ma foi! said Maximilian in consternation. Yes, you are right, I am but a poor friend to you. What a life I cause you to lead, poor Maximilian, you who are formed for happiness! I bitterly reproach myself, I assure you. Well, what does it signify, Valentine, so long as I am satisfied, and feel that even this long and painful suspense is amply repaid by five minutes of your society, or two words from your lips? and I have also a deep conviction that heaven would not have created two hearts, harmonizing as ours do, and almost miraculously brought us together to separate us at last. Those are kind and cheering words. You must hope for us both, Maximilian, that you will make me at least partly happy. But why must you leave me so soon? I do not know the particulars. I can only tell you that Madame de Villefort sent to request my presence— as she had a communication to make on which a part of my fortune depended. Let them take my fortune. I am already too rich, and perhaps when they have taken it, they will leave me in peace and quietness. You would love me as much if I were poor, would you not, Maximilian? Oh, I shall always love you. What should I care for either riches or poverty if my valentine was near me, and I felt certain that no one could deprive me of her? But do you not fear that this communication may relate to your marriage? I do not think that is the case. However it may be, Valentine, you must not be alarmed. I assure you that as long as I live, I shall never love anyone else. You think to reassure me when you say that, Maximilian. Pardon me, you are right. I am a brute. But I was going to tell you that I met M. de Morcerf the other day. Well? Monsieur Franz is his friend, you know. What then? Monsieur de Morcerf has received a letter from Franz announcing his immediate return. Valentine turned pale, and leaned her hand against the gate. Ah, heavens! if I thought it were that! But no, the communication would not come through Madame de Villefort. Why not? Because, I scarcely know why, but it has appeared as if Madame de Villefort secretly objected to the marriage, although she did not choose openly to oppose it. Is it so? Then I feel as if I could adore Madame de Villefort. Do not be in such a hurry to do that, said Valentine, with a sad smile. If she objects to your marrying M. de Penney, she would be all the more likely to listen to any other proposition. No, Maximilian, it is not suitors to which Madame de Villefort objects it is marriage itself. Marriage? If she dislikes that so much, why did she ever marry herself? You do not understand me, Maximilian. About a year ago I talked of retiring to a convent. Madame de Villefort, in spite of all the remarks which she considered it her duty to make, secretly approved of the proposition. My father consented to it at her instigation, and it was only on account of my poor grandfather that I finally abandoned the project you can form no idea of the expression of the old man's eye when he looks at me the only person in the world whom he loves and i had almost said by whom he is beloved in return when he learned my resolution i shall never forget the reproachful look which he cast on me and the tears of utter despair which chased each other down his lifeless cheeks ah maximilian i experienced at that moment such remorse for my intention that throwing myself at his feet, I exclaimed, Forgive me, pray forgive me, my dear grandfather. They may do what they will with me. I will never leave you. When I had ceased speaking, he thankfully raised his eyes to heaven, but without uttering a word. Ah, Maximilian, I may have much to suffer, but I feel as if my grandfather's look at that moment could more than compensate for all. Dear Valentine, you are a perfect angel, and I am sure I do not know what I... Sabring right and left among the bedouins, can have done to a merit your being revealed to me, unless, indeed, heaven took into consideration the fact that the victims of my sword were infidels. But tell me what interest Madame de Villefort can have in your remaining unmarried. Did I not tell you just now that I was rich, Maximilian? Too rich? I possessed nearly fifty thousand livres in right of my mother. My grandfather and my grandmother, the Marquis and Marquise de Saint-Marin, will leave me as much, and M. Nortier evidently intends to make me his heir. My brother Edward, who inherits nothing from his mother, will therefore be poor in comparison with me. Now, if I had taken the veil, all this fortune would have descended to my father, and in reversion to his son. Ah, how strange it seems that such a young and beautiful woman should be so avaricious! it is not for herself that she is so but for her son and what you regard as vice becomes almost a virtue when looked at in the light of maternal love but could you not compromise matters and give up a portion of your fortune to her son how could i make such a proposition especially to a woman who always professes to be so entirely disinterested valentine i have always regarded our love the light of something sacred Consequently, I have covered it with a veil of respect and hid it in the innermost recesses of my soul. No human being, not even my sister, is aware of its existence. Valentine, will you permit me to make a confidant of a friend and reveal to him the love I bear you? Valentine started. "A friend, Maximilian? and who is this friend?" I tremble to give my permission. Listen, Valentine, have you never experienced for any one that sudden and irresistible sympathy which made you feel as if the object of it had been your old and familiar friend, though in reality it was the first time you had ever met? Nay, further, have you never endeavored to recall the time, place, and circumstances of your former intercourse, and failing in this attempt, have almost believed that your spirits must have held converse with each other in some state?